Hello, everyone. Hope everyone's having a nice post-NRF week. So, hey, we've got a nice guest on this episode. Speaking of NRF, we have Michelle Bacharach, the co-founder and CEO of FindMine. Jose and I caught up with her at the show. And just so you know, when you're listening to this, there's a lot of people at this show. If you weren't there, there's about almost 40,000 people. And the background noise definitely shows it so sorry in advance for any weird sounds or other music you might hear that you don't like it's not our little jam box or phone in the background playing any theme song so i hope you enjoy this she was really fun to talk to and a little bit about michelle before we jump in michelle's a product and strategy expert she's got experience in growing startups in large media companies launching apps and websites, putting together joint ventures, conceiving new products. She's shared her experience with thousands of leaders in retail and technology, and she spoke at South by Southwest. She's spoken just recently at Big Show. She has an MBA from NYU Stern and a BA from UC Berkeley, where she wrote her honors thesis on managing innovation in multinational organizations. So what is FindMine? Well, FindMine scales outfitting across a fashion retailer's enterprise. Well, what does that mean? It's a complete-the-look technology that creates a complete outfit around each product. So it's blending the art of styling with the ease of automation. And essentially what it helps do for retailers, it helps retailers represent their brand at scale. And it helps us, me and you, answer that question that we're always asking ourselves when we go into a store when we're wearing new clothes is how do I wear this what's the right way to wear it based on based on fashion based on your preferences based on how the retailer wants or thinks you should wear it so this helps answer that question for you and I can tell you one thing I would love something like this because half the time when I go buy something I have no clue what to pair with it so here's Michelle she's talking a bit about find mine She's talking a bit about the personalization needed for it and how this all came about. Let's listen in. The differentiator that we focus on is that the brand has a specific point of view. So not only what the shopper's preferences are, but the way that the cust- way our customer, the retailer, yeah. conceives of wearing their clothing is so important. And in a, in a hyper-personalized world where it's too personal, yeah. the brand's voice gets lost. And so what we do is we actually take that brand's point of view and scale it out and make sure that it doesn't get lost sure. amidst this hyper-personalized world. And we add the personalization layer on top. Uh, all right. So so I guess that that's a good place to start is the personalization world. Sure. Why don't you just kind of give us a, for those that aren't as familiar with it as you are and maybe some others that are listening right now, um, tell us a little bit about the, the, the industry and as far as personalization itself, where it came from and maybe where it's going and why it led to Find Mine in a way. Yeah, that's a great question. So... Um, I mean, Amazon really kind of kicked it off in a meaningful way with the kind of, you might also like this other stuff based on this person who is also in their early 30s, female, has cats, you know, no no kids yet, but married. I'm describing myself if that wasn't obvious. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, they do a great job because they have such a really, really, really huge catalog. There's no way I'm going to see every single, you know, pair of shoes in my size in the Amazon catalog. I'd be sitting there all day clicking through pages right. and pages and pages. So they right. had to have some way sure. to make it bubble to the surface what was right for me. But when you look at Amazon's, you might also like recommendations, especially now that they do so many things. Sure. I see 
cat food, shoes. Um, I see <laughs> books because I, I do buy books from Amazon. And I see, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a piece of beauty equipment. Yeah. There's no conceivable way I would use all four of those things in the same context. Like, in the same day, maybe, across my life. Right. But I'm not wearing shoes while I'm holding my... Like, it doesn't... It's not a look. It's not an outfit. It's apples and oranges. It's not... Right. It doesn't all go together, right? So, they're bubbling things to the surface that I might like, but they have nothing to do with each other in context except that I might like them. Sure. So, the thing that we felt was missing in this personalization kind of world is, great, bubble stuff to the surface I might like. Once I've identified something I might like, say those shoes, tell me how to use it. Yeah. So, when I... How do you use shoes? Will you put them on your feet? While you're walking around as a human in the world, and you can't be naked and just wear shoes, you get arrested for that. So you have to wear pants and a shirt Most and a jacket, places, yeah. and they have yeah. to all look Unless you're like in they make sense. Yeah, <laughs> I did go to UC Berkeley. We had a naked man who would only wear a backpack. So he might be the exception, but everyone who's not the naked man has to wear an outfit. <laughs> I wonder, wonder if he hangs out with the, the guitar guy with the naked cowboy. In naked cowboy, wearing, yeah. Right? yeah. They're the East Coast, West Coast counterparts. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> gang signs yeah. yeah so that's a big differentiator is we put the context or we give the information about how to use what you're buying sure. that's very very much missing in a world of personalization makes sense makes sense and as a follow-up um changing gears a little bit uh how did you come up with the idea uh for fine line i mean meaning uh in other words um how can you talk a little bit about the aha moment how, how did it happen what, what was the journey yeah like the origin story yeah. sure so I mean, there was no one aha moment, honestly. It was based on a couple of factors. One is that I was a product manager for many years. Sure. And product management is about kind of taking friction out of the process. And so I, I worked for Univision. I worked for a startup. Um, and so I would kind of figure out where what the journey was supposed to be for the user and how to remove steps. So that was kind of my career training, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then having that in my personal life, I just, A, I'm really impatient. <laughs> and so, B, I would get really frustrated when there was a user experience that had too much friction for me. And so, uh, you know, as a shopper, as a woman who buys clothes and has to feel confident and look sure. good, and I moved from LA to New York and I had to kind of redo my wardrobe, I would find myself buying like one piece, like this, I talk about this leather skirt a lot and it's actually a real skirt I wore it yesterday. Um, it's like fitted, but it flares, it's leather, it's high-waisted, and I like love this skirt. I thought it was so edgy and cool. Sure. But it sounds I, edgy and cool. Yeah, it is. But I bought it, and then I was like, wah, wah, I don't actually know how to pull this off. So then I spent all this time <laughs> on Pinterest and Polyvore and all these different places, like, trying to figure out how to, like, Googling how to wear a fitted leather skirt. That's way too much friction. The place I bought the skirt, which I, uh, was Nordstrom, if they had just shown me, here's a bunch of ways to wear yeah. this skirt, I would have bought all of my stuff from Nordstrom to complete that look. They lost this huge opportunity to sell to me because they didn't show me that. They only showed me the skirt, and I just bought the skirt, and it was an individual thing. And that happened across a bunch of different categories, home furniture, sure. cosmetics. Like It kept happening, and I was like, why hasn't anyone solved this problem? When I started looking into why, I found that retailers do this manually. So Nordstrom does curate outfits, but they sure. do it manually. And because they do it manually, there's no way they can keep up with 100,000 products in their catalog. So that was the big disconnect. And kind of the aha moment, I guess, was um, my co-founder, who's a computer scientist and data scientist, kind of tipped me off to artificial intelligence and helped me figure out that 
that's what can close that loop, that, that can solve the disconnect yeah. sure. because we can apply sure. automation technology to get outfits in every single product in the catalog. So that's kind of what kicked it off. But the, the real impetus was my personal selfish need for like <laughs> saving time while shopping. So you're your own lead user, which kind of solved your, your own problem, which is which is awesome. Usually that, that that's sometimes part of the origin story, but yeah. not always. Yeah. Fortunately, I'm not the only person who has this problem. We did the research and found <laughs> out that like people will buy up to 200% more when they get the whole outfit. Um, so it's not just a market of one, which <laughs> sure. you don't want to build a business just for yourself, but that's where it started. So, so we know now that, you know, retailers generally, at least unless they're engaged with you, they don't give that guidance that most consumers need, right? And that's mm -hmm. that's the problem you're trying to solve. But how do you, given given like a, um, whether it's a mono brand, whether it's a department store, whatever it might be, how do you know what, uh, I guess what that retailer's vision might be in that sense, in terms of what their style is. Like, how does the data know this? Like, is it because of, you know, um, you know, me as an example, going to Banana Republic, buying a set of things at a certain time. Maybe there's others like me, and maybe there's common purchases that match up to a certain type, and then you would base those recommendations in a way, or those 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 complete the look sets off of that. Or does the retailer say these are the things that we want to? prioritize for whatever reason it might be. I mean, there's, there mu I'm guessing there's some kind of back-end activity on, hey, these are the higher margin items, or these are the things that we really want to push more of. Let's combine it in this complete the look set for this set of people that matches whatever the data brought up in the background. Yeah, so like the former source of data where you're talking about what customers have in their basket at the same time, we right. actually do not care about, and it's yep. very misleading. Yep. Because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'll buy four pairs of jeans send three back because I didn't like them, keep one. Sure. But I certainly don't wear four pairs of jeans at once mm -hmm. with no shirt and no shoes. So there's a lot of signal and noise getting confused in the basket data. So we do not care about what's in the basket. That's, okay. that's um, it's almost going to make things worse. Like we're going to recommend an outfit that looks really busted and our yeah. brand customer is going to be like, what the heck happened? Find <laughs> mine, right? So we don't look at that data at all because it can be very confusing. Yeah. The latter source of data you talked about is exactly it. It's what the brand thinks is stylish and should go together. So they're giving us that guidance, but sometimes they don't even know they're giving it to us yeah. because we don't want to add more friction for them either. Sure. So we don't ask them, hey, like fill out this, you know, 50 page survey or send us all this stuff. They're giving us that information all day, every day because they put out campaigns and email, you know, marketing and they have a billboard in Times Square that has a model that's wearing an outfit and they have manually curated outfits on their site. So we source all that material and that becomes the basis for the machine learning to learn from. Then they can tell us, hey, you know, um, uh, jewelry, our jewelry accessories are really high margin items. We want to push those. So every look needs to have jewelry. We can add that on top. Right. Um, but the base of understanding what's stylish for them mm -hmm. comes down to looking at what they've done before and building our algorithm around that. And then we have like a content management system where the merchants can log in and they can be like, ooh, fine, mine, you got this one wrong. Kind of veto that. And then the algorithm will kind of retrain and learn in real time. Don't do what just got vetoed. Right. Sure. Do more of what the merchants maybe have added. They can add their own outfits and stuff like that. Right. And I mean that that, that covers like the the general, I think the gist of what's happening right now in retail in terms of data influencing decisions and yeah. how much should data be allowed to influence decisions. And then it's it a can, given can that data be overridden? Yeah. by human, because that yeah. needs to happen. It has right? to be a marriage between the art and the science yeah. for sure. And then you, you talked a little bit about. Uh, uh, leveraging machine learning um, and obviously the algorithms, but what type of data uh, do you need to ingest in order to 
uh, have, have um, let's say, on the back end, yeah. uh, fine line work? It's a lot of data. We need a lot of data points and information. The problem is, again, if you're going to pitch a retailer and say, hey, I'm going to save you some time and help you get more revenue upside for your business, but I'm going to save you time in the area of merchandising, sure. but your IT team has to manually tag 50,000 products, they're going to be like, okay, you just eviscerated my time savings. So we can't ask them for that because that's too much friction again for the, for the retailer in a different department. So what we do is we take the product feed that they all have for anything, or even their website, just their sure. website, where there's a title, there's a price, there's a description, and there's an image of the product. We take that information and we apply a whole set of algorithms against that data to tease out additional points of uh, data. So the example I gave on the panel earlier was retailers are really good at making up like nonsense words for colors. <laughs> and I've literally seen the color called winterberry like this past holiday sure. season. And it's like, you know, that's great, but a computer has no idea what winterberry means. I, I don't have no idea. What it's, it's like a red, kind of like a mauvey red. Okay. Okay. So like, uh, Which you know. sounds better than mauvey red. It does. Yeah. It's great. I mean, that's why they do it. It's, it's a marketing sure. language, and that's why they use it. Um, but the computer is not going to know what to do with that. We're not going to know how to match to Winterberry unless we know the RGB value of what that color is. So what we do is we actually look at the color palette of the item, and we do um, we, we pick seven colors. So because sometimes there's like there's shadow, there's you know the the way it is is sure. not just one pixel, and sometimes retailers have like the little pixel that we could use, but we actually don't find that to be um, uh, robust enough, so we get seven colors, and then we create this massive, crazy, like vector thing. It's very math-based. Sure. Unfortunately, I'm not on the tech side because I was not very good at math. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very um, multi-dimensional spaces and things sure. like that. So we use that, but we don't ask the retailer to create us a multi-dimensional space for each color. That would be crazy. Right, right. So we actually apply all these algorithms to tease out the data that we need to put it in our format in order to do what we do. And so that's actually where a lot of the machine learning happens is not even on the matching, it's on the understanding of what the product is. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So the, you just went through, I was going to ask you some questions about how this how this is different, maybe some from some other solutions that might be out there, but it doesn't sound like there's that many solutions out there that it can actually do this, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, it seems like it's a relatively newer concept. Yeah. I mean, the concept of using data to begin with is sort of new for retail, right? Let's be honest. I mean, they've been sitting on mounds of data and maybe not knowing what to do with it all except put it in a spreadsheet. So, you know, and you come along with FindMine and they're, you know, obviously their their eyes widen <laughs> and it makes them happy. But do they come to you and they say, oh yeah, we've thought of building this internally. Or we tried to build this internally based on more maybe, maybe more art than science yeah. in that way, right? Yeah, so our biggest area of competition for sure is retailers doing it manually yeah. on their own. Yeah. Some of the more sophisticated ones have said they've you know, come up with an uh, in-house solution to do it sort of algorithmically sure, and sure. take some of the um, work off their plates. But just like anything with a build versus buy decision, mm -hmm. it's not just about building it, it's about maintaining it and updating it and making it better and better and better. Data, uh, companies based on data science or artificial intelligence grow and um, get better with the more data they have. So the more reps that you have in this, uh, you know, doing this outfitting thing, the better you're going to make your machine learning doing outfitting. If you're an individual brand, you only have your own data. So even if you built, you had the best data scientists in the world and you built the perfect system, you're only going to be learning on your own data. Whereas sure. if you use a third-party company that has customers across many categories, they're going to have so much more data and insight and knowledge that's um, gone into the algorithm. Their algorithm is just going to be 
light years better just by factor of the scale they have working with many companies versus just one company. So it's not very likely that you're going to have like dedicated data science teams to do this thing when it's not really core to what you do. You sell products, you don't necessarily you know, need to do outfitting. Um, so it's already easier to outsource that to someone else. But even if you did, you're at a disadvantage because of the volume of data you have is different than a company that works with multiple different companies. Exactly, because the retailer's job is to sell products. It's not to be a tech exactly. company, if you will. Exactly. I mean, unless they have a scale uh, a la Walmart Amazon. or Amazon, <laughs> right. for sure. Amazon is a tech company because <laughs> they have the, the Amazon Web Services and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So, But even for them, I mean, they don't just focus in fashion, too. They have all these other categories to worry about. So maybe for them, it's not even worth it to build an engine that can, can do outfitting because it doesn't extend to all their other product categories. Great, and, and then uh, for our retailers listening out there, uh, how do you guys charge? Are you SaaS-based, are you? Yeah, it's SaaS-based. We ruled out revenue share really quickly, and one interesting reason that might help other kind of startups thinking about pricing models or whatever, um, retailers told me that anything that touches gross margin is really um, hard for them to do in terms of pricing because it's volatile, it changes every month. The person who writes the check to you in the finance department might have a cap on what check they can write. So let's say you have a really good month and you do a revenue share and all of a sudden this person maxes out at $50,000. They have to get their boss to go like give them an exception to sure. write you a check to pay you. That adds friction. Right. So we ruled out that. And then the third thing about revenue share that I thought was really interesting is that Wall Street looks at gross margin obsessively so even if you are making even if you're a vendor making them so much more money but you drop the gross margin analysts are going to complain and your ceo is going to get mad so don't mess with that so we <laughs> said okay we might be leaving money on the table by not doing a revenue share but we do a flat fee so it's based on how many outfits you serve and then if we try to target a 10 to 1 roi for our customers but sometimes it's like we for one of our customers we've got a six thousand percent roi and we're like Great, we left a lot of money on the table there, <laughs> but they love us, and that's great. And so they share. You it know, all the depends gospel where they're starting them. from, right? It all yeah. depends where they're starting from, and many could be starting from that. Yeah, right. That point where it, that ROI just goes through the roof. Yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, so the uh, fashion and apparel is your thing, I'm mm -hmm. guessing. Are there other areas you guys are considering? Other types of retailers? Yeah. You know, other maybe more hard goods. Like, are there yeah. other con other extensions of what you're doing that could prove valuable for other types of retailers? Yeah, too? absolutely. I mean, we're a startup, so we're kind of being focused for now. But sure. the other areas that make perfect sense would be like cosmetics. You know, mm -hmm. eyes, lips, face. There's kind of a trend and style element to that sure. as well. Home furniture and decor. Um, I personally have struggled with this in the past, where you know I bought this like amazing white couch. But then I was like, oh, well, does my end table work with this? I might need a new one. Yes. And, and there's this company called Rooms to Go out of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I like fell in love with what they do because they literally give you the entire room. <laughs> and then you can kind of mix and match within that. But they give you some guidance. And I would have bought my entire living room from them, except they don't ship to New York. And I was like, why doesn't everybody do this? So that's another like super exciting area that I'm wanting to get into. Yep, I can see that on Wayfair. That'd be nice. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, for our listeners interested in entrepreneurship, what should they know before starting a venture? So for, uh, what are some of the uh, lessons that you could share with them, maybe two or so, one or two, that uh, you could share from your journey at yeah. Fineline? Um, the one I always use is uh, if you can not do this, don't. If, if you can quit your idea, if you can stand to not be an entrepreneur, you're better off not doing it. Don't just do it because you have an idea that you're like, oh, it's kind of cool. Like, I had this idea for eight years. Wow. And Find Mine's been around for, you know, three and a half. So, like, the better part of five years, I kind of sat on it. And I was like, 
you know, I have my list of ideas. I kind of go through them. And, and this one I just could not shake. And I could not stand the idea of not doing this or watching someone else do it poorly. And so eventually I just was like, I have to do it. But if you can quit your idea before you've even started it, sure. how, how will you feel when things are going horribly wrong and it's five years in and you have to wake up? You're going to want to quit so bad then. So if you want to quit at the beginning, quit. Like run away, run away, run away from being an entrepreneur until you cannot anymore. And then if you can't, then go do it. Interesting. <laughs> it really pulls you back in. Yeah. Pulls you back in. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a brick and data podcast for us. <laughs> like I can't get away? No. All right. Clearly. <laughs> uh, so as far as what's going on next for you, I mean, NRF is wrapping up, right? So we're, I mean, are you going to be at Shop Talk is the next question. Are you, where else are you going to be next? Anything you want to tell anyone? Yeah. We'll be at, I'll be at South by Southwest and then I'll be the weekend after that at Shop Talk. And then yeah. I'll be oh in God. Amsterdam calling on some clients. And then we're fundraising. So I'm going to be in California three times in the nice. next two months. It's going to be a pretty crazy What series are you guys? So you're still venture funded? We're obviously. Yeah, we're you're venture, venture funded. funded. We did a seed round about a year ago. So we're raising mm -hmm. a Series A now. Awesome. Um, we're in the kind of weird position that I feel bad complaining about where we have too much interest to like That's satisfy nice with our current <laughs> team. We're, we're 10 people full time. We have 20 people total. Yeah. It's just not enough to do all the great things that we want to do and that people are coming to us asking us to do. So that's why we're raising money. It's a good reason to raise money, but it still keeps me up at night. So. Well, it's good. And you know, if, if there's something I'd want to keep me up at night, I'd want that. Yeah. Right? Like you're saying earlier about the, you <laughs> too know. Too many people want to buy my product and my diamond shoes are right too on. tight. Yeah. Right on. Exactly. Woe is me. We'll see what kind of bling you're wearing in about three months. Yeah. Right? So, um, well, um, congratulations on yeah. all the success you're having Thank with you. this. You know, it, you. it does, like you said, it takes a while. It takes patience. But this is a real good example of what you know, that kind of vision can actually turn into. Yeah. And, um, and this is another, another great example of data paving the way and machine learning paving the way with that nice balance. Um, yeah. So, you know, I wish you the best of success. I know um, uh, there's a couple places that people can find you, right? Findmine.com, so F-I-N-D-M-I-N-E.com. And on Twitter, you're FindMineUS. Correct. Correct? Yeah. Awesome. So go there to find the latest and greatest on FindMine. And uh, yeah, Michelle, best of luck, and thanks for coming. Thank on you and guys so us. much. Great thanks show. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks. You're welcome.